Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. 
as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. I'm back. Let's just uh, let's just bow our heads in prayer and let's um, let's get into this portion of scripture and just see. I just see the relevance of um, what's happening in our generation and what's going on in Paul's life. So let's just uh, let's just open up in prayer and let's. Uh, Let's feast on God's word today. Father, I thank you again for my brothers and sisters who are here today and just, Lord, as we gather around your word, um, comfort our hearts, strengthen us, speak to us, give us wisdom, help us to know how to navigate through the turmoil and things that are going on, help us to um, stand for truth, help us to discern the lie and the truth and to stand in the truth, and to stand on your side above all things, to stand for righteousness, to stand for God's word, to stand for the name of Jesus, and to stand for the kingdom of God, as Paul did. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're here in Acts 24, and the reason why we're in Caesarea is because there was a conspiracy to murder Paul. So by providence, Paul's nephew happened to be there hearing the conspiracy and then reporting it to his uncle, who then had his nephew speak to the commander, and then the commander orders that 200 foot soldiers, 200 spearmen, 70 horsemen, be at the ready to move Paul to a place of safety. Now you would think to yourself, all this for one man. Well, when you're doing what God wants you to do and you're doing it under, under the power of God, when you're doing it with absolute faith in God, God will provide for you whatever it is to make sure that the, the plans and purpose of God prosper. And if that means putting 200 foot soldiers, 200 spearmen, 70 horsemen and putting you on a horse and sending you somewhere else so that the gospel can be proclaimed, he'll do, he'll do, yep, he'll do that thing. And so that's what happened. Paul now finds himself, as we can say, uh, kicked on down the road, and he's now in the hands of, of the governor Felix of Caesarea. And so here, uh, letters given to uh the governor, and basically what's, what happens here is now five days later, there's going to be a trial. Now, you can look at this and say, as in anything in our lives or as we've seen in, uh, played out uh, in political theater, a rush to judgment. Now, whenever we rush to judgment, we don't have all the details. Or whenever there's a rush to judgment, we rush to judgment 
because we look to um, condemn, convict, or give people our own opinion. Not based on fact, but based on our own opinion. And this is what's happening in Paul's life. Paul is under trial, and the trial is about to take place, and it's not based on fact, it's based on opinion. It's based on prejudice. It's based on hearsay and not on truth. And so here we are, we're, we're opening up, the, the curtain opens up, and Paul is now uh, brought in to uh, stand, stand before Governor Felix, and then walk a cast of characters. Ananias, as we see in verse 1 and 2, Ananias, the high priest, comes in. Also with him are some elders and an attorney. Now, you may say, well, Ananias, the high priest, well, what's he doing there? And what is a high priest? Who is the high priest? What is his significance to being here in the courtroom? Couldn't he have just sent a lawyer or some, just some, some representative? Why is the high priest there? What's his role? Well, as we know, a high priest, what he does is he makes sacrifices for the people's sins once a year on the Day of Atonement. So he's the only one that can go into the presence of God once a year to make sacrifices for the people of Israel. So he's an influential man. No one else can go into the temple once a year, only him. So he holds sway. He also has overall charge of the temple's finances and the administration of the temple. He's also recognized as the political head of the nation of Israel. Now, the nation at that time is ruled by the Romans, but he's seen in the, by the, in the eyes of the Jews as basically the head of the nation. So this is his role. So he operates in this role, and he shows up bringing his authority and bringing some of his henchmen. He brings some elders with him. They're probably he brings some people that are like-minded with him, probably people that have an axe to grind against Paul. I mean, we can kind of look at it. You can kind of say, not that this has happened, but like, let's say the leader of the house doesn't like the president. Let's just say something like that happens. So they go and they get a couple, of, she gets a couple of her henchmen together and they whip the crowd up and they, they come up with something like a phone call to a foreign leader. Not that this has ever happened. I'm just giving you, like, you know, just, just, just an idea. It's just something like kind of I thought about. Like, you know, so he makes, a, he makes a phone call and somebody intercepts it. And, like, he's, he's called a whistleblower. But we don't know who this guy is. And so then they trump up these charges and everybody froths at the mouth and, you know, and, all, and then you have the news media get all, and we have this crowd and all this. You know, it's kind of like this. But that, like, not that's, like, ever happened. I'm just giving you a for instance. So you have some of the elders. Maybe some elders from California. And maybe some elders from New York. I, I, I don't know. I'm giving you a for instance. And they have an axe to grind, a political axe to grind. They don't like the guy because he's talking, he's talking and he's pre preaching faith. He's, he's been healing people. He's been uh, um, building churches. He's been winning converts. So they have an extra grind. They're jealous over God using him. 
the fact that they can't control him, the fact that he is preaching to the Gentiles. So they're offended at him. He rubs them the wrong way. Sound a little familiar? Yeah. So here he is. So here's the, and then they, they bring in this lawyer. This lawyer's name is, I call him Tertullus. I don't know what they call them there. But they probably got him from the um, law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So here he is. They get this guy. And now understand, he's only got five days to prepare, right? Because in five days, so they got to go out and they got to get this lawyer. So they say, well, you know, we can't hire a Jewish lawyer. We know they're good. But we're going to have to go with a Roman lawyer because, you know, well, we don't know much about Roman law or how Roman law is administered, so we need to hire a Roman lawyer. Who should we call? So you look in the elevator. Oh, look, do we cheat him and how? All right, let's call them. Hey, we, got a, we need a lawyer. Oh, we'll send you Tertullus. So Tertullus comes, and he's appointed to accuse Paul. Now, to the Jews, to an extent, they're like I said, they're unfamiliar with Roman law and how Roman justice is administered. So we see in verse 3, I love this, we see in verse 3 of, of uh, Acts chapter 24 that he begins to flatter the governor. He says here, uh, since we have uh, through you attained much peace and since by your providence uh, Providence reforms are being carried out for this nation. We acknowledge this in every way, and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. Now, you ever have somebody come up to you and kind of flatter you, but you know something else is coming up? They're not coming at you straight, saying they need something, or, you know, they just, hey, oh, I haven't seen you in such a long, look at you, you look good, did you lose weight? You know, or, oh, wow, that's a great tan, or, what have you been doing? Have you been relaxing? You know, and you're, you're sitting here, and in your head you're saying, What's next? What's next? What's next? Well, like, you know, if you got a pickup, you're like, hey, that's a nice truck. Is it an all-wheel drive? Wow. Uh, can it, I bet that can hold a lot of stuff. And then you're like, and, you, you, you know, I, I don't have a truck. You know, I got a Civic, so you can't get much stuff in there. But, I, you know, I, I can picture that. Somebody like, you know, they look at your truck, and right away they're, oh, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be moving in a couple of days. That's a nice truck. Hey, you know, you think, how much is that stuff? Oh, it's four-wheel drive? Or they're like, hey, it's four-wheel drive. Does it pull stumps? You know, I mean, so, you know, flattery. Flattery always comes. And here it is. I, I had to circle it because it's right there. He says, he says it here. Um, and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness, but. Ah, there it is. There's the but. He's about to begin what it is that they have accused Paul of. And this is some list. That I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness, again, a little flattery going on, he's really poured it on thick, a brief hearing. For we have found this man, here's the charge, a real pest. <laughs> Can you imagine one of the charges against you is you're a pest? All of our kids would be in tr on trial. But it says, here's, here's the charges that they're, that they're accusing him of. Remember, they only had five days, so they're, 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 you know, they're at a rush to judgment. And so, well, what are we going to charge him with? Well, let's charge him with being a pest. Okay, sounds good to me. 
So it says here, so we found this person to be not just a pest, but a real pest. Not a fake pest, but a real pest. And then it goes on and says, and he, he stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. Now, that is somewhat true. I mean, he did annoy the Jews when he would preach about Jesus and the, and the resurrection and when he was preaching about the kingdom of God and he was preaching about a new way of living. When, when people are stuck in tradition or when you have people that don't want to accept something new and it hits them, it hits them in a wave of offense. Think about it in your life. You know, um, we were going about our lives living the way we thought was right and doing our own thing and then somebody came and presented us the gospel. And at, at first, it hits us the wrong way. And either we take offense to it, we tell somebody, yeah, that's okay for you, but it's not, you know, that's not what I believe, you know, or, yeah, I believe that, yeah, God, you know, God loves us, yes, I've heard that, Jesus rose from the dead, yeah, I know all of that. You know, we kind of, we, we, we use, it's our defense to push people away, what we know. Yeah, I know that, I know that. But here it is, it rubbed them the wrong way. And it says here in Acts 18, verses 6 through 11, it says, but when they resisted and blasphemed. Now understand, he's talking, the, actually, they're talking about the Jews. And it says here, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he, being Paul, shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for about a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So we see something's happening here. We see that the Jews are rejecting the gospel. The Jews are rejecting that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Remember, when he talks about the resurrection of the dead, they get all in the froth. They get all of And here it is. They're not, they're, they're not seeing the Messiah as someone who was rising from the dead. It's not the picture of how they see the Messiah, so it offends them. And so, yes, they may see him as a real pest because he's preaching the same message wherever he goes, but now he's preaching it to the Gentiles, and this sets them off. They reject it, and yet the Gentiles are accepting it, and the Gentiles are accepting it in mass number. And whenever you lose popularity and someone else gains popularity, if you're of someone of weak character, you're going to get jealous, and then you're going to plot revenge. And that's what's going on here as Paul is standing before Felix. He's on trial, not for any crime, but he's on trial because of people's prejudice, if you want to say. They're on, he's on trial because of people's jealousy. He's on trial because... They are stuck in a tradition, and they've missed the mark. They've missed the Messiah. They've missed the, the plan of God. They've missed the workings of God. And they've missed what has been said in Scripture 
Because Paul argued with them from Scripture, and they still wouldn't believe. And not only did they not believe, then they blasphemed. So this is a hard-hearted people, and he says, listen, that, your blood be on your heads. I'm clean before man, and I'm now going to go to the Gentiles. And he goes, it, and, and he goes, and he goes, knocks on the door, and the, next, the guy next door in the, in the synagogue, and he starts having church right next door to the synagogue. Pretty good. So we see what's going on here in Paul's life. So this is why Paul is on trial. It says that he just, he, you know, he stirred up dissension. And here it is. They said that he's a ringleader of a sect called the Nazarenes. That's a true statement. But then they go and they said that he tried to desecrate the temple. Now, that's a lie. Paul was not in the temple desecrating the temple. He was in the temple. He was fulfilling a vow that he was fulfilling a vow that was counseled to him by the apostles in Jerusalem. And he was also paying the way so that other Jews in that area of Jerusalem can fulfill their, their vows. So this is why he's in the temple. Now, he's also working out the plan of God. Now, sometimes, you know, we kind of get used to God moving slow. We, we pray, we pray, we wait, we wait. But sometimes when God moves really fast, he moves really fast. And sometimes it can be in a whirlwind. And this is what's happening in Paul's life. Paul has basically been in Jerusalem 12 days. Okay? Five days waiting for the Jews to come. Now, i got to take off my shoes for a minute so I can subtract. So he, here he is. He's five to so. So there's seven days, right? I, I kind of went real quickly. I counted my toes. Okay, so that's seven days. So we see that God is moving very quickly to fulfill the plan and purposes that, that God called Paul back to Jerusalem. So here he is. He's, he's moving. God is moving at rapid pace. And here he is standing before a governor now. And he's, and he's on trial. And he's now going to proclaim or, or defend himself against these accusations. So they said that he was, he was uh, desecrating the temple. And then they said, here's another lie. We arrested him. No, they didn't. They were beating him. They weren't arresting him. Matter of fact, remember, this is the man who, who, go, who pre preached against the law and against Moses. And all of a sudden, the Jews came and they just started beating down on Paul. There was no arrest being made. They were looking to kill him. Then he goes on and he says, we wanted to judge him according to our own law. Well, if your law meant basically to stand there and beat someone without a trial, then that's, that's what they were doing to him. So again, another lie. They were not, they were not uh, judging him according to their law. They were acting out of jealousy, out of rage, out of, um, how would you say, hearsay. And here they were judging Paul on the moment and, and basically um, giving him a beatdown, for a better word. Then they go on and they said, it says here, um, they go and they charge police brutality because basically what they said was that, that violently the, the, commander, the commander came and they, and they grabbed Paul. Now, the people that were acting violent were the ones who were beating Paul. There was, they had um, caused such a ruckus and such, a, such a, an upheaval in the, in, the, in the area that it needed military force to come in and, and move the crowd. And so here it is, um, we have a riot going on, and um, 
without proper authority moving in to quell, to quell it, Paul would have been a dead man. But God intervened and basically came and rescued Paul. So this is what we see. This is, this is their defense. Now it's Paul's turn. And in verses 10 through 16, we see what happens here. Matter of fact, uh, we've we seen that there was a lot of flattery going on by Tertullus. Well, Paul opens up and he basically says, um, in, in verse 10, he says, when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. That's it. See, when you know that you stand on the side of truth and you stand on the side of God, you have confidence. You don't need to move man according to flattery. You've got God on your side and you've got the truth on your side. You don't need flattery. See, flattery is for insecure people. See, if the only, if the only way that I can get someone to do something is to flatter them, that comes from a, from a place of insecurity and a place of fear. Paul's not operating in a place of fear. He's operating in the, in the fact that he knows. Matter of fact, if you go back just a little bit in, um, in, verse, in chapter 23, verse 11, he, Jesus shows up to him and he says, Take courage, for I, for I, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome. He's been given marching orders. So Paul heard from the Lord, know he's in the will of the Lord, know he's doing what God has asked him to do. He's standing with complete confidence so he doesn't need to flatter him. He, he addresses him with respect, and then he moves on. And so Paul moves on, he dives right in, and he tells him no more than 12 days ago, I was in the temple worshiping God. And then he goes on and he says, um, now they accused me of, of um, starting all of this trouble. I didn't start any trouble in the temple. I didn't start any trouble in the synagogue. I didn't start any trouble in the city. And I wasn't with anyone causing a riot. I was basically just in the temple worshiping God. Then he, said, then he goes and he says that they cannot prove their case against me. But then he goes on and he says, they can't prove their case against me. But here's what they can prove. Okay? And so he says, what, what I'm standing before you is an outright lie. But now he goes and he turns the table and he's going to present who he is to the governor. So he's going to stand not in defense of himself, he's going to stand in defense of the gospel. See, and that's the thing that God is calling us to do. We don't need to stand in defense of us. There is, what's there to defend? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not a perfect man. I have made many mistakes, but you know what? I can tell you something about my life. And let me tell you something about my life. Then I go into presenting the gospel. I was this, but I'm not that no more. God saved me at my lowest point in my life. Loved me, stood by me when no one else would. Brought me to a place where I can be healed. Sent me on to study in the ministry. Been in the ministry for over 30 years preaching the gospel in all sorts of places. 
at any given time. You know, and I've seen healings. I've seen deliverances. I've seen miracles. I've seen salvation. I've seen people come in at their lowest and God take them and lift them up. I've seen God move. You can present yourself in such a way. And I believe now is the time, and that is what God is looking for. Someone that will not stand uh, to defend a man, but will stand to defend the kingdom and the kingdom moving forward. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. And we can glean from what Paul is about to present, and we can glean and we can say, how do I do that? How do I apply that to my life and move forward and do the same? So we see here, he's about to say, okay, they presented their case, it's really weak, and none of the charges can be proven. But here's what can be proven, excellent, your excellency. And he says, yes, I am a follower of the way. I do serve the God of our fathers. I believe in the law. They're telling me that I'm, 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 look, I'm speaking against the law. I'm not speaking against the law. I support the law. I believe in the law. I believe in the prophets. I believe in the, in the fulfillments of prophecy. I believe in what the prophets have written. I believe in what the law has been written. I believe in these things. So he's making his defense. Then he goes on and he says, I have the same hope of God that my accusers have. So he's turning the tables on them. I have the same hope that they have. Well, what's that hope? He's about to tell them. I believe in the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. That's his hope. So he begins to present to them, listen, I, I have a hope in God, but not only do I have a hope in God, I have a hope not only what's going to go on in this world, but I have a hope of what's going to go on in the next. I have a hope of that the resurrection of the righteous it's true. I have a, a, a hope in the fact that there's the resurrection of the unrighteous. What line are you standing on? And so he's beginning to present what is truth. He's beginning to pre present gospel, and he's doing it in a very wise way, and he's doing it before a very influential man. He's, be, he's doing it before a very learned man because it says that he's familiar with the way. He's not someone that's just, you know, um, cut off from people. He's actually knows what's going on in and around his province, his province. Okay, and then he says something that's really awesome. He says, listen, I try to live blamelessly before God and man. I am not, uh, this is me in parentheses. Basically he's saying, I'm not this rascal. I try and live blamelessly before God and before man. And that's the way we're supposed to live as well. We're supposed to live our lives blamelessly before God and before man. That if we were to stand trial, that what, what would come out as evidence is how we lived our lives before God. How we've conducted our business before man. And what would they, what would they be able to accuse you of? Would it stand up in court? Or would it be, as Paul says, all of these things that they're accusing me of are basically out and out lies and they can't prove them. And so... Paul's telling him, listen, I strive to live blamelessly before God and man. Paul's going to continue his defense. He's going to say, listen, I came back to my nation. Now, Paul has been gone for four years on a, another missionary uh, journey. 
visiting churches, planting churches, encouraging God's people, uh, put, bringing order to some places. So he's been busy about the kingdom of God, doing God's work, God's way, uh, proclaiming the kingdom, strengthening the churches, doing what God has called him to do. I mean, this is no ordinary man. This is a man that suffered greatly for the kingdom of God. Here's a man that was uh, shipwrecked a day and a half in the sea. There's a man that was beaten and stoned to death, and, 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 and believers come, and they pray for him. They raise him back up, and he goes back, and he goes back to the same place that, no, that less than a few minutes ago they went to kill him. He goes back, and he begins preaching, all bloodied and battered. This man's a lion. Fearless. This is a man who has known what it is to have plenty and to have little. This is a man who knew how to work with his own hands to provide for his own needs and not burden the church. This is a good man. This is a man who can expertly, through the, old, through the scriptures of the Old Testament, prove that Jesus Christ is who he is. This is a man who, can, who healed people uh, raise the dead. This is a man who has done great work for the kingdom of God, and yet his work is not over yet. And he's doing and moving, even when men tried to stop him, he knew and the conviction of his own heart that I must go and continue to suffer for the gospel, even to the place of death. This is an awesome man. And now he's going to continue his defense. In verses 23 and 22 and 23. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself there. Verses 10 through 16, Paul continues. We said that now he's on 17 to 21. Paul continues. He says, now let me, basically what he's saying is, now let me break it down for you. He says, I came back to my, to my nation. So he's a Jewish patriot. Just because people rejected him, he did not reject the nation of Israel. Just because the, the Jewish people rejected him, he did not reject them. So he says, listen, I came back to my nation. The nation that rejected me, I, I came back. The nation that right now is putting me on trial, I came back for. And I'm, I'm here, and, and I, I didn't come empty-handed. I came, and I presented gifts for the poor. Remember, we had a president one time on his inauguration who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Seems we've lost that now, where we stand there and, we, and what we want is, ask what your country can do for you. Don't worry about what you can do for your country. Everybody seems to be on the dole, what the country can do, what the country can do for us, what the government can do for us. Let the government take care of us. Instead of the fact that we don't need the government, we can take care of ourselves, we can govern our own selves, and we, and we need to be free from the confines of government. Here's this man, and he's saying, listen, this is what I've done. I've come and I've brought, I've brought offerings for the poor. And I've also brought an offering for God. He brought a personal sacrifice to God. And then he, not only, he also is found in the temple, and he's doing what he knows to do. He's offering himself to God. He knows Something's coming his way that is not going to be very comfortable. And so he's positioning himself before God, preparing himself spiritually 
for what's for the for what's uh, for what is God has planned for him next. So he's found in the temple, and when he's found in the temple, basically he's falsely accused of the things that have been brought on to him. So he goes and he basically says, I was, I was found in the temple offering myself to God. I was, there was no crowd. There was no uproar. And then he goes, and this is great, he says, and the people that accused me aren't even here to accuse me. Where are my accusers? There are none. Isn't it funny? The ones that started the trouble seem to have slithered away. They stirred up the crowd, and the crowd went and perpetuated the lie, the hearsay. The mob rule is the same as it is today. They have no reason, they have no idea why they're there. They're just there uh, for the thrill of the moment. And that's exactly what happened here. Mob rule is pushing forward an agenda that is not that um, falsely is accusing. Paul. Amen. I, I hear you on that. Amen. Agree, you agree with me, right? Praise God. So uh, no crowd, no uproar. The ones who, who started this mess aren't even here to present their case. And then he throws it back at, the, at the, his accused, and he said, listen, I made one statement that riled them. He basically said, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. They went off. And so now we now that Paul has presented his case, Felix basically has heard both sides. And he's going to uh, make a judgment. We see in verse 22 and 23, he says here, but Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to, to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and, and, not, to prevent, and uh, not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. So basically, in true form of a politician, he didn't do anything. He kicked the can. Yeah, I, I will, I'm going to make a decision when the next guy shows up to accuse him. I'll make my decision then. And basically, that's what happened. In true political form, whether it was back in the Roman times or it's back in our time, a politician is a politician is a politician. And that's what we have here, a politician. I'm going to make a decision later. But here's the thing. He places Paul under house arrest. But he allows Paul to have freedoms, and he allows Paul to have visitors who would meet his needs. So the beauty, the beauty in this thing is, is God is gracious to him and is kind to him, and, and as he's doing the will of God, he makes sure that his needs are met. When we're doing the will of God, trust me, you may, you may not be able to see with your natural eye that your needs are met, but let me tell you something. As long as you are in the will of God, doing the will of God, standing on the side of God, you will, God will never abandon you. He will make sure that your needs are met. Not your wants, your needs. And it's the same thing here. I could tell you a story. The other day, uh, I lost my wallet. Yeah, uh, like for two days. And um, I'm at work, and I'm like, I, I, I knew I, I put it down somewhere in the building. This is a big building. And I'm like, I have no idea where, where I put it. And so I, I can't go around. I'm at work. I can't go around frantically looking for my wallet. 
I got work to do. So I'm over there. And I'm, it, was Friday, it was last Friday, and I'm, you know, doing my, my work. We get done, and I go in the room, and I just say, please, God, please help me find my wallet. And I said to God, I said, God, I know please isn't really a faith thing, but it's my wallet, and I don't know how else to ask you in faith but just to say please. You know, sometimes God isn't looking for faith. What he's looking for is just a relationship. We think we have to be, oh, i got to be full of faith. No, I, I was full of frustration. I had no idea where this thing was. So I was like, please, God, please, oh, please, please. Tap St. Anthony on the shoulder. Ask him where my wallet is. Now, here's the awesome thing. So I get done with that, and I'm packing up to go home, and I'm walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, I stop. And I turn, and I look, and there's my black wallet laying on top of a black piano. Right there. Now, I, you know, yay, God, thank you. Let me tell you something. God is so into you. The in, whatever is bothering you bothers God, if it's real. So I was, uh, I need my wallet. Boom. God is, cares about you to the most intimate, minute detail. So sometimes it's, okay, please, God, please, God. I know it doesn't sound very faithful, I, you know, but uh, please, God. It is. It is all right. God cares for us in the, my, my, the most minute detail of our lives. And I tell you what, I had a good Holy Ghost, praise God, moment when I found that wallet. That was like, because I knew it was God right then and there. I had passed that piano all day long. And there it was. Now we see Paul, we see Felix is um, making a decision, which basically is no decision. Keeps Paul under house arrest. He allows for his needs to be met. He allows for unrestricted visitation. But then things take a turn for the surreal in verses 24 through 26. Basically, he's inviting Paul to come and minister to him and his wife, Drusilla. And now Paul teaches about faith in Christ Jesus, but then he also teaches about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment that is coming. Felix gets scared. He's under conviction. Think about this. You're the apostle Paul, and you're in the company of two people, the governor and his wife, and you're preaching about faith in Christ. You're preaching about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Who knows more about it and more deeply about it than Paul? Freak this guy out. He said, okay, I've had enough. And Paul stops. So Felix gets convicted. But instead of letting the conviction drive him to God, he hardens his heart and he shuts up Paul. See what happened here? Now it goes to show you how hard his heart, how hard his heart was. He was looking for a bride. Paul is giving him the pearl of greatest price. Salvation. He's talking to him about righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment, and the fact that you can escape it. And he gets fear, and he uses what he knows best, manipulation and control. He shuts him up, and he looks for a bride. Typical politician. 
Now, I want to let you know something. And I want to encourage you. Don't be discouraged when you share the gospel and people don't receive it. Paul is ministering to a governor about faith in Christ Jesus, self-control, righteousness, and the coming judgment, and this man doesn't accept it. Don't be discouraged when you present the gospel to someone and they don't receive it. You've done what God has asked you to do. Paul has done the same thing. He's done what God has asked him to do, continue to preach the gospel. It's not about, it's not about oh, i got to get people saved. I can't get anybody saved. I couldn't even save myself. So what makes you think I'm going to be able to save someone else? It's not what I can do. It's what God, it's what God can do through me and through you. And it's the same thing. It's what God can do through the church, not through the, not through the building, but through the people. What can God do through you? Are you available for that? God, get, and it's my prayer every morning. God, get me out of the way so that you can, so you can flow through. I can't do nothing. And even Jesus said that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, I got to preach. I got to witness. Yes, you do. But not in, not in the flesh and not in your own strength. And not in, the, I gotta, not in your own striving, but in the unction ear to heaven, and with a heart listening, and, and when there's a little tap in your spirit, and you see the divine appointment, that's, what, that's the time to move and to minister the gospel, and, not, and leaving the outcomes up to God. How many of us did it take a long time, or many, many messages before we got to receive it? And this is what's happening here. So he's looking for a bribe. Now when I'm listening to this, when I'm seeing this, I thought about my honeymoon. A honeymoon and a bribe? I didn't bribe Jill to marry me. I didn't do that. I don't want you to think I did that. We're on a honeymoon. Now, we're on our way to a honeymoon, and the stewardesses hand us this piece of paper. They say, fill this out and give it to the customs agent. After that, you can throw it away. That's what I heard. I'm sticking by this story. So... We have our papers, we land in Cancun, we hand over this paper, they stamp it, we walk, I walk by a garbage pail, I throw them away. It gets better. We had a great time on our honeymoon, it was awesome, beautiful, nice. Coming home, we go to wherever it was we went to at the airport, the custom agent, wherever, I don't remember, gave my passport and the people say, where's your visa? What visa? That piece of paper that they gave you on the plane that you gave to the, to the um, custom agent when you got here. Oh, that paper. I threw it out. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Gracioso. You can't leave Mexico. What do you mean I can't leave Mexico? You can't, you can't leave without a visa. Oh, yeah, well, how do I get a visa? Well, you're going to have to buy one. Well, how much is one? About $120 each one. Okay. Uh, Let's, let's, let's fill it out. Well, you can't fill it out now. You have to wait till Monday. Wait till Sunday. The offices don't open till Monday morning. So you mean I can't leave? No. Now my new bride's like, I don't want to be anymore. I want to go home. And I'm, oh. So I says, well, is there someone I can talk to? And the person said, well, let me see. So we sit down, and, and then they say, come with us, Mr. Grazioso. So I go with them. And we go into this room, 
with, with one metal desk, with one chair, and one person sitting behind him. And he's got our passports in front of him. And behind him, it says, it is illegal to bribe a Mexican official. So he says, well, Mr. Graziosa, what seems to be the problem? I lost my visa. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. Well, how do you think? And then he turns, just like this, it's kind of slightly sideways. And he's looking at the thing, and he goes, well, how do you think we can resolve this issue? And I'm thinking, this guy wants me to bribe him. What if I bribe him? It's illegal. I might end up in a Mexican jail. I don't know Spanish. I'm like, listen, so I said to him, listen, this was a beautiful country. We had a beautiful time. Um, you're in control. I'm not. I don't know what to do here. So he says, well, give me a minute, Mr. Grazioso. We'll see how we can figure this out. And he walks out. So I said, come on, Jill, we got to pray. And immediately the Holy Spirit quickened me the scripture. And he says, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand and he directs it any which way he chooses. So I prayed that. I said, Lord, the king's heart is in your hand. I pray that you direct it towards us, towards us in favor. Give us favor in this situation. Amen. The guy comes back in. He says, well, Mr. Grazioso, uh, you know, he said, um, I don't know what to tell you. He says, but I got to say something. He said, um, you're not like many Americans that I've had in here. Americans can sometimes be kind of rude and proud and arrogant. I said, sir, again, I'm in your hands. He said, yes, you are. He opens up our passports, stamps them. He says, have a nice time. Take care. That's God. That's God. See, when you got God on your side, you don't have to worry about who's in control. He is. You're a king's kid. And you don't have to worry about bribing anybody in another country. Uh, so we see what happens here. Next, Felix finally makes a decision. There's two years of non-decision. Paul is under house arrest for two years. There's a new governor in town, and his name is Porcius Festus. And so Paul leaves him in, in, in this man's hands. And uh, to curry favor with the Jews, I guess he did get his bribe that he was looking for. After all, he leaves Paul under house arrest. Amen. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. God bless you. Ha, ha, ha.